Welcome to yet another Sunday, July 25th, 2021, with the First Love Ministry at First Presbyterian Church, Jacksonville, Illinois. Our guest preacher, Craig Wood, has titled his sermon, Caught in the Web. Our liturgist is Reggie Benton. Our organist is Christine Smith. The guest soloist, Hope Cherry, will sing Hallelujah for a special music selection. The first scripture reading comes from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Our gospel reading is from 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 15. The scripture reading is from Ephesians 3:14 through 21. Let us listen to the word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Lord, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. the day I weighed the surf where dolphins play the taste of salt the dance of waves and my soul wells up with hallelujahs a lightning flash my pounding heart a breaching whale a shooting star give testimony that you are and my soul wells up with hallelujahs oh praise him all his mighty works there is no language where you can't be heard your song goes out 
wings, a thunder's boom, and Saturn's rings unveil our Father as you sing, and my soul wells up with hallelujahs. Oh, praise Him all His mighty works. There is no language where you that beautiful song. The second scripture reading is from 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 15. Let us listen to the word of God. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel to be with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his rooftop and watching throughout the city, he saw from his roof a woman that was bathing that was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Job and all the people had fared and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And he did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, 
You have just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths, and my lord Joab and all the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall then I go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will do no such thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever studied how intricate a spider web is? It seems like there's no beginning and there is no end. The image of a spider's web is an appropriate one for this sermon on David's famous sin. Now, I know you all don't want to hear sermons on sin, but once in a while we just need to look at that. For David's one sin led to a web of deceit and sin and it created a web of impact that lasted for generations in his family. I think that sermons on David are really teaching sermons. Today we deal with the tragic flaw of David. In Greek literature, it seems their favorite kind of literature were the tragedies in which the hero often had a tragic flaw, usually hubris or pride. Now, I find it interesting that people enjoy watching tragedies. I think there may be several reasons why we enjoy them. Sometimes we enjoy watching tragic figures because we can learn from them. And that is certainly the reason this kind of story is in the Bible. I think that some people enjoy tragedies for the wrong reasons, though. Sometimes I think we enjoy watching someone else fail. But that's not the reason this story is in the Bible. The story is here that we might see ourselves in David. And David has some of the tendencies that we have. And we should not necessarily enjoy this story, but we should learn from it. Now, isn't it interesting that the Bible has such a tragic story, especially about someone so well-respected as David? But here, this story is told with an unflinching presentation. It makes no excuses and holds no one or holds nothing back of the sordid details. David breaks at least three of the commandments in a cold and calculated form. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not commit adultery, and you shall not murder. The Bible makes no attempt to put a spin on David's sin. There are no excuses given. Surely this story is told so that we might see ourselves and learn from David's mistake. 
This is a story set in the context of the violence of war. And I suppose we should not be surprised to hear a story of relational violence in such a setting. But what is David doing at home? His army was out laying siege while David lounges at home. Perhaps David has lost interest in leading armies. Maybe he is weary of warfare, or perhaps he thinks he's too valuable as a king to go on such campaigns. History indicates that sieges like this could take months or even years to break down the defenses of a city. During all that time, there wasn't a lot to do. Perhaps the army was busy building ladders or digging trenches or preparing a battering ram, but there was plenty of time for a king to go home and wait in luxury until the final battle? David proves the old saying, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. As David paces on the rooftop, he spies this beautiful woman, and she is bathing, and he lusts after her, and he desires her. At this point, David decides to put his foot on that slippery slope. He gets entangled in a spider web of his own creation. David sent and inquired after this woman. I think it's a very important part of the story that David did not even know this woman's name. He didn't know who she was. He had no previous relation with her. There were no genuine emotions. He did not love her or care for her or what she might think about him. But you see, he was a king, and he had power. If we do a little research, we find that in Samuel 1, verse 8, we find the story of Israel demanding a king. The prophet Samuel warned against the power of the king. He said, this will be the way of the king who shall rule over you. Samuel mentions at least four times that a king will take. You must notice the words. And scholars argue with the translation of the New Revised Version here, where the NRSV says David sent messengers to get her. Scholars suggest a more accurate translation is David sent messengers to take her. Now David decides to take Bathsheba. David sent messengers and took. And she came into him and he lay with her. And she returned to her house. This act of sin is described in too few words. There is no mention of the motivations, emotions, or feelings. The question that comes to mind is this. What about Bathsheba? There were two people involved in this episode. Why is it that Bathsheba is never held responsible for what happened? Well, the Bible is very clear. It places all the moral responsibility upon David. This has not prevented people through the ages from speculating about Bathsheba. Some have said she was a flirt or that she'd seduced David. Why would this be suggested if not to, dis to, to excuse David's behavior? In Joseph Heller's novel on David, he says, Bathsheba said, I made up my mind to meet you, a king, and all that too. Who could resist? 
So I begin bathing on my roof every evening to attract you. These attempts to excuse the behavior by saying she asked for this is wrong. Look at the text. The Bible will have none of that. The Bible does not involve this woman for this decision. This is not a love story. This is not a relationship. David has even got to ask for the woman's name. He doesn't know what her name is. In a few minutes, the deed is done. It might shock you that this was not just adultery. This was abuse of the power of the king. She had no consent, and you know what we call that. In this circumstance, Bathsheba had no choice in the matter. This was corrosion, plain and simple. There was no way on earth that she could refuse a king, and David was not the king type of king that would take no for an answer. David exercised the power of his position to satisfy him with something that was different and very beautiful. The Bible makes clear that Bathsheba did not bear responsibility for this action. Only David is accountable. In fact, it almost appears that she is a non-person. She is identified primarily by her ties to her father and to her husband. In fact, she is not again called by her own name, Bathsheba, until much, much later in the story. I do invite you all to read further because it does get better. Otherwise, she is called only the wife of Uriah or the woman. The moral responsibility lies clearly on David. But this story of royal lust is suddenly complicated. The woman conceived, and she told David, I am a child. These words propelled the story into a new and tragic dimension. In response to Bathsheba's words, David launches a cover-up. David intends to get Uriah home to be with his wife, that he's no longer involved. Then David sends word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked of him, how the people fared, and how the war prospered. David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. David's euphemism, wash your feet, was very clear to Uriah. He knew what David wanted to do. But Uriah's sense of solidarity with those facing hardship in battle precluded his him being able to enjoy even one night respite with his wife. Being your, your wife during battle rendered a person ritually impure in ancient Israel. And David's warriors also refrained from contact with women while on military campaigns. The next day, David learns that Uriah did not go to his house. Faced with Uriah's integrity, David attempts to undermine Uriah's resolve through a drunken palace feast. At evening, Uriah went down to lie on his bed with his servants of his Lord, but didn't go down to his house. We cannot help but notice the contrast between David the king, the stay-at-home husband, and Uriah, the real man of integrity, who has been away fighting the king's battles and even now will not 
betray his comrades in arms. In desperation, David determines to murder Uriah in battle, where the murder will be disguised as a battle casualty. It's pretty chilling, and it's easily, easily to the cover-up plan shifts from what David has done to a murder plot. In a bitter irony, Uriah must carry the cruel order for his own death. David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He wrote in the letter saying, Send Uriah to the hottest battle and retreat from him that he might be struck dead. We can learn some brief lessons from the telling of this story. First, we see the slippery slope of sin. The story began with a look, then a longer look, then lust, then deception, and a cover-up. At any point, David could have stopped this story and lessened the damage done. But no, he slid all the way to murder. Perhaps David fell into a trap of wondering how his actions could be so wrong, if they felt so right. He was a king, after all. It was what he wanted to do. He felt that this was a manageable episode in his life. And it all might have not been much of a story until things got out of control. He could not control Bathsheba's pregnancy. Even though he was the king, he didn't have that power. And it turned out that he could not control Uriah's behavior even though he was king. Matters were out of control and it spiraled into worse and worse sin. I hope you all can hear the rest of that story because it turns out pretty good because David recognizes what he's done and he confesses his sins to the Lord. His story is old, told with great frankness in the Bible. It's not sugar-coated and is a warning to all of us. We have to be aware no matter what the sin we live in an imperfect world, and we are imperfect people after all. But Christ, and this is the good news, Christ is always with us if we only believe in his redeeming grace. May God's grace keep us from our own webs of deceit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The congregation and visitors can now enter through the east or north doors. Our in-person service starts at 10 a.m. We do, however, ask that you keep your mask on while moving about in the building. In the sanctuary, there are two sections, one for vaccinated and one for unvaccinated individuals. The ushers will guide you to the section of your choice. Those in the vaccinated section can now sing without a mask. Join us at www.facebook.com slash slash and join our Monday First Pres Jacks community group, which meets at 7 p.m. every Monday. This is a question, answer, and sharing group with the pastor. This is a private room, and you will be asked a few questions before entering to make sure you are a human and not a robot. Presbyterians with a Purpose is another program available at the First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville for individuals needing to contact someone 
during these challenging times of the pandemic. You can visit that link. Just visit our homepage and find the link for Presbyterians with a Purpose. We also offer a Sunday live service starting at 9.55 a.m. You can visit www.firstpresjax.org slash donate and make your contribution there. Or send contributions to First Presbyterian Church, 870 West College, Jacksonville, Illinois, 62650. You also can contribute through your bank using bill pay. If an account number is needed, please use 870-870-870. Our phone number is 217-245-4189. Our email is office at firstpresjax.org. That's office at firstpresjax.org. 